the life of Joseph, walking through different principles that I am pulling out of that that help us uh, see what we are supposed to be doing, how we're supposed to be living this life. We find ourselves at a place where he is moving from this uh, silent time, this, the time when God doesn't seem to be speaking to him, into a time of incredible prosperity. And there's an in-between that I want us to see, a principle called honesty and honor, what you must be ready for. In this, Pharaoh has had a dream. He doesn't know what it means. Nobody seem, can seem to tell him what it means. One of his servants remembers when he was in prison that there was this Hebrew guy that could interpret dreams, tells Pharaoh, Pharaoh brings him up, says, these are my dreams. In these dreams, there are some significant elements, of course, that had significance. There were seven cows. There were seven heads of grain. What did they represent? Seven years. That's time. Some of these cows were fat and healthy. Some of them were lean and gaunt. What did that represent? Then there were heads of grain as well. Uh, some were really healthy and others were scorched and parched. That re represented uh, resources that were either great or, or not. Treasures. And then at the end of this, uh, the interpretation of these dreams... Joseph says to Pharaoh, you ought to find yourself a wise and discerning individual to be in charge of managing what's about to happen. That would be talent. This week, I want to dig deeper into this concept of being honest before God. And in doing so, we need to understand the economies that God has given us. God has created us to live and manage Three basic economies. Time, treasures, and talents. Why on earth did God do this? It's such a pain, isn't it? You never have enough time. There's always too little money, and you're forever dealing with your abilities or lack of to accomplish what you believe God wants you to do or what you think you're supposed to do, right? Why does he do that? He didn't have to do that. We're going to talk a little bit later about a time when that's not going to exist anymore. How come we can't be there? How come we have to be here? I'm going to give you the answer right away. The answer is this, because he wants us to understand order. Specifically, what comes First, You see, when there are limits, when there is a quantified amount of something, priority or prioritizing becomes essential, or we run out of what we need. We don't have enough time, we don't have enough money, we don't have enough ability. Sometimes, if, we be, if we're honest with ourselves, we end up with not enough time because we wasted a bunch of time at the beginning of our time. And that's why we didn't have enough time, because we're supposed to prioritize and manage it. Now, this isn't just a sick game that God decided to create to make us miserable until he decided how many he was going to love and draw to himself and take us to heaven where we don't have them anymore. That would be cruel. He did it for a reason, a good reason, that we would understand what is supposed to be supreme. 
Iacocca's famous for saying that the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. It's not new. He just gets the quote, you know, gets the, the credit for you know putting it together that way. Contrary to our natural thinking, when the order is correct, there is more room for the rest of what we think we want. And the inverse is not true. So, in order for that kind of comment to, to, to make some sense, of course, I promised you last week that I was going to play around with a few things up here today. Now, here we are with three containers and we need to get all of the things that are in those containers in one container because we've got to get it all where we want it. It can represent whatever you want it to, but, you know, I want, I want to make a lot of money, I want to have a lot of fun, and I want to be the smartest individual the world has ever known. Okay? So we're just going to take all these things and make sure that we get them all together because I don't want to be smart and poor, I don't want to be stupid and rich, I don't want to whatever, Okay? So we want to get all the things together. How in the world do you put all your time, all your talents, all your treasures together so that they all fit? Well, we all like sand, so you start with the beach. Life is short, start with dessert, right? You know, let's have some fun. So, so we want to have that. So let's go and play on the beach. And while we're playing on the beach, we live in this wireless world, I can do my work. See, that'll work out. So my boss won't mind, he'll never know, and I'll be able to do what I want to do, how I want. Doesn't work, does it? And I'm not going to waste your time because you may have seen this before. And so obviously, if you don't do things in the right order or in the right way, it doesn't work. You run out of room and you don't accomplish what you want. In fact, the matter is, if you do put the right things in the right place and in the right order, it will work. So you find the big rocks. What are the most important things? We're going to go to Scripture in a few minutes and find those. But if you put those in first, then out of those you end up discovering because of prioritizing what things are most important that come next. And you can add those to what you've already done, and it looks like it's going to be full, and it's not going to work, but it worked this week, okay? So, if you shake it down and run it together, it ends up flowing over just like the Bible says it's going to do, and then you can take everything that's left, and believe it or not, if you work it, it... You know, you responded the same way they did earlier this morning. It does fit. Because you put them in in the right order, in the right place. And believe it or not, if you work it, it'll all settle down and it'll all fit. But it's about order. Now, this isn't just some kind of cute idea or a funny illustration. It's not really a funny illustration. It's a funny guy trying to do an illustration. Anyway. Take these three things. Time. Turn to Psalm chapter 90. If you want to know where time management is dealt with in the Bible, this is the best place to start. Psalm 90. Psalm 90 was written by Moses. It's the oldest psalm. You may know that many of the psalms are written by David. He lived hundreds of years after Moses. Moses lived 
120 years himself. And he led a couple million people, maybe three, through uh, a desert for 40 years. He knew something about managing time, treasures, and talents. We even have some stories about how he learned some of that from his father-in-law, who was at, at one time smarter than he was. And it's very interesting to look at this psalm then, only psalm that Moses wrote that we know of, and uh, he ends up saying in this psalm, beginning of verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations, little hint of time there, before the mountains were born or brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. Notice the next two words. You are God. Present tense, you are. God is the ultimate present tense. He has no past. He has no future in the sense that he always is. He always has been, so he has a past. He always will be, so he has a future. But he is the ultimate present tense. He stands outside of the time that he has actually created. And he gives us this time. Why? Well, if you read down through it, you end up with um, Moses reflecting on this, saying in verse 12, Would you teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom? We need to learn how to manage what you've given us. Would you teach us to do that? You created this. You stand outside of it. It exists for some kind of a reason. What are we supposed to do? He actually tells you you get 70 years and everything above that is gravy. I'm getting close for all of you who are over. Thank God. You're, it's all gravy now. That's what you get. What are you going to do with it? Teach us to number our days. And then he says in verse 14, Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. And he goes in the next verses to talk about the effort and the difficulty that, that's been put into this. But if we will, Lord Jesus, would you then... God, Moses at that time saying, Dear Lord God, would you bless the work of our hands? In verse 17. Now, what needs to be first in your time? He does. The one in whose hands it rests. Verse 4, verse four tells us that he is eternal. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, like a watch in the night. He is, he is completely eternal. We, on the other hand, in verse 5, don't last a day. The sun comes up, we wither, and we're done. But, speaking of the day, if you are first in the morning, would you grant us, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love? Who gets the first of your time? You heard me pray at the beginning question but what's the first day of the week now I know you're gonna you know you're good Christian people here on Sunday you know but you probably consider Sunday the last day of your weekend and Monday the first day of your week and we just do that we make us first the church of Jesus Christ actually started worshiping on Sunday because they wanted to give him the first day when do you give God your first time? Oh, I'm not a morning person, you know. I do it at night before I go to bed. It just settles me down everything. You can't, okay? I'm not a legalist. I did have somebody that I respected a great deal, though, that used to say, 
You can do it. Do it at night. It's all good. You know, it's great to tune the violin after the concert's over. Just that's super. You know, why do that? Why don't we give him the first and the very best? You know, like I'm a morning person. It's not the best. Okay, deal with it. Whatever. I don't know. But does he get your first time? Psalm 39 says the same thing. Our days are so short. We are nothing before you. We're like a breath. We pile up wealth so somebody else can get it. Where do I look, he says in verse 7. I look to you. He needs your best and your first time. It's amazing. Well, I don't have the time to do that. You would be surprised that if you make him first, he rewards and he honors and the rest is there, isn't it? Have you ever practiced that and seen it true? Of course we have. And then we slide back into our old patterns and we wonder why we're running out of time. Time. He needs the best and the first. Treasures. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to move around to a lot of passages today. 2 Corinthians, he's writing to these people in Corinth and Corinth is... In modern-day Greece, it's down near Athens. At that point, what we understand as modern-day Greece was divided into two parts. The northern part was Macedonia. He's going to refer to these people from Macedonia. And the southern part was Achaia. And that's where Corinth, the city, existed. And these people had blessed, been blessed with the gift of eternal life because of the church in Jerusalem, which you know where Jerusalem is. So there it all starts, and they're spreading it all through the modern world. And it's come into Macedonia first, into what we know as Europe, and then moved down to Corinth. And now, once all of this has happened, it's years later, these people back in Jerusalem are in famine. They're in difficulty. They're in, 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 in a lot of trouble. And that trouble, actually, as we know history, is only going to get worse. And so the, the people are concerned. The apostles and Paul is, is concerned for these people. He's collecting an offering. And he wants to take something back to these guys. And he says, you won't believe what happened. So that's the nature of this chapter, okay? Second Corinthians chapter 8. He says, you won't believe what happened. You know, he's talking to these guys down in Corinth, the people up in Macedonia. Listen to what they did. I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify, they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability entirely on their own, and they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing with the servants, uh, this service with the saints. It's as if Paul's going, I know they're in trouble. You guys have got nothing. Don't worry about it. No, 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 no. First thing we want to do is we want to give something. Is that okay? First thing, do this. Please, please, take this offering. It's remarkable. They put that treasure first and said, man, are you kidding? A little bit of money compared to eternal life? We're in so indebted to those people, what, can, what else can we do? And so then he goes to verse 8 and says, now how about you guys? I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. I've always been fascinated by that phrase. I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. I don't really want to compare, but let's do that. And that's exactly what he's doing. He's going, you know, I don't, I don't want to like play favorites and stuff, but I mean, those guys did a great job. And guess what? You should too. I mean, he just lays it out there. You should see what these guys are doing. And you don't want to be any less than that, do you? Well, and he has reason to actually say that because he goes on to say uh, that last year, verse 10, 
You were the first, not only to give, but also to desire to do so. So now finish the work. Last year, they didn't even know about it. You knew you did something. Now follow through on it. First things first. And then it's interesting. When you get to verse 15, I think you got this vase right here. By the way, it's settled a little bit. I think the rest of that sand will fit in there. But anyway, verse 15, as it's written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. It all worked out. It fit. And that's the way it's supposed to work. The Philippians did the same thing. Philippians chapter 4. It gets to the end of this story. And these guys were the first ones of those Macedonian churches. He says, when I left you guys, and that was the first city he was in when he entered into Macedonia, and then he goes down to Thessalonica and Berea, and he heads down into Achaia. He says, you know, when I went to you guys and I started going out beyond there and I needed more money, the only church that sent me money was you guys. You were the first. And you were the only. And then he says to them at the end of that passage, that God is going to provide every need that you have according to his riches in Christ Jesus. You put first things first, and you're going to have everything that you need. Oh, no, 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 no. You don't get it. You don't get it. You don't get it. Yeah, I do get it. So did Jesus. No, 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 no. I'm worried. It's a bad economy. You don't understand, man. The things are not what they... So Jesus said, why do you worry about tomorrow? Why do you worry about the clothes and the food you're going to eat? Have you ever looked at the birds? They're fine. I'm taking care of them. Have you ever noticed the lily of the valley? It's absolutely gorgeous. I take care of my own. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. So, in the first of your time, God says, I need to be first. Give me first. In your treasures, my kingdom needs to be first. What I'm doing needs to be first. And your treasures ought to show it. Where do the treasures fit? In the firstness for the kingdom. Now, we're going to dig into this a little bit more as we talk about stewarding these things next week. And there's some argument about quantity. The point I want to get across is, I'm not arguing quantity. I'm arguing occurrence. What comes first in your treasures? If it's less than the kingdom of God, then you've got a problem with Matthew 6.33. And you've got a problem with 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And you've got a problem with Philippians chapter 4. Because the first thing is supposed to be the kingdom of God in your treasures. Don't you be telling me how much money I have to give. You figured that out. God's going to tell you. But you better figure out where it goes first. If we figured that problem out, I don't think we'd have the other issues. Because for those of us who have been practicing that firstness, not perfectly, but for a long time, we find that no matter what that quantity is, as it grows, and we keep giving more, we never run out. As a matter of fact, it just settles down, and it all fits. Told you, didn't I? And you laughed at me. Telling you, it works. And it didn't look like it was going to fit. I was going to run out. I didn't have enough. It's always enough. If God's kingdom is first, the reason you run out of money 
is because you put it in the wrong place first. And then in terms of your talents, there are three major passages in Scripture that talk about talents or our abilities. There are Ephesians chapter 4, Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Just want to refer to two of them this morning. Romans chapter 12, first of all. Two of my probably life verses, you know, if I'm going to put them on a headstone, that's what they're going to be. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. First thing, holy and acceptable unto God. And then don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Then verse 3, and by the way, according to the grace that God has given me, just another little word here in terms of your abilities. I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with a sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has given you. And then he goes into this description of these abilities that he's given us and that are all different and everybody's got one and they're supposed to use it for the sake of others. Here's the deal. When it comes to your abilities, you're not first. What do you mean I'm not first? It's my ability. That's all I got. I don't have money and I don't have brains. I can do this. You're not first. What God has given you as a talent, as an ability, as a capability, exists for the sake of others. That's what he said. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Everyone is given a spiritual gift, he says, a gift from the Spirit, verse 7, for the common good. Then he goes on. We are many parts that form one body and no ear gets to say that he doesn't need the eye. No foot gets to say, I don't need the hand. Everybody needs everybody. You exist to help others be everything that they're supposed to be. That's how the body functions. So what needs to be first in your talents? The body of Jesus Christ. The collective group of individuals that meet together and call themselves a church. So there we have it. Time, the Lord, first treasures, the kingdom, what he's doing first. Talents, the body of believers, the body of Christ first. So, what are the implications of this truth? What, what applications can we make out of this? We're going to be honest, and we're going to learn to be honest. Can we, honest. can we be honest about the economies that we're working with here? I'd like to mention a biblical concept that if you've ever heard of it, you've probably dismissed it because we don't tend to understand this in our less than agrarian society. We, we were, uh, when we were missionaries, we were supported by a church in central eastern Pennsylvania, uh, Illinois, and they were crop farmers. And they lived on a very different cycle than the rest of you live on. Your cycle is what? the 1st and the 15th, right? Or the 15th and the 30th, you know? It's, it's, every, it's every two weeks. That's your cycle, you know? And you can't wait for that next check to come, right? And we get in trouble because we got more month than money. These guys lived on a yearly cycle, like much of the Bible in Bible times. They lived in this, they live in this society. They used to say to us, you pray for real fruit and we'll pray for spiritual fruit. Because everything was based upon their crop. And their support of us as missionaries 
went up or down depending upon how the crop did. And I could tell what kind of a good year it was or not based upon the support. And there were real things they had to depend on God for in that. They, they were crop farmers of corn. Corn was pretty resilient. It's a spike. It comes right out of the ground. It survives under a lot of circumstances. A soybean, it's very different. Germinates in a different way. It's a bean that has to, that, that comes, it's a part of a sprout that comes out of a bean. And as it comes through the ground, it has to curl through. If it's too hard, it can't break through and, it's, and it doesn't make it. If it's too wet, it drowns and it, and it doesn't make it. They have to depend on God to know just when to sow that seed at the right time in the spring. And they're always talking to each other. And they've got a, got a whole other um, dimension of trusting God to do first things first. So I went back and looked at this and did a study in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, there are these specific instructions about how we're supposed to take these first fruits, these first things and give them as offerings at the temple and to the, to the priests for their provision. And then you get to the New Testament, this concept of first fruits is referred to to show priority and order and value. So I want to sum it up in this, this uh, short way that I have this morning. Three things to understand about first fruits, this biblical concept of getting first things first. First of all, God did it. I've told you many times. He'll never ask you to do anything that he hasn't already done himself. He, the God of the universe, so loved the world that he gave one of the angels, because, you know, they're expendable. I already lost a third of them. What's another one? His one and only son. The, the very best. First things first. Only he can solve this problem. I'll send him to do that. God gave his first fruits. Then 1 Corinthians chapter 15 talks about when this one, this Christ has accomplished everything and he's risen from the dead. It's referred to him as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, there are about 15 resurrections in the Bible, but this one is the first one to have been resurrected, person to be resurrected that never died again. All of the others died eventually. Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection of all of those who die because he'll never die again. God gave that to you and to me. And Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, because of this says that he's the firstborn among the dead so that he might have the supremacy. Now we're back to the beginning of what I said. God put this order stuff, this, this economy stuff in place so we would figure out what is supposed to be supreme. And that question dangles in front of us all, doesn't it? What is supreme in my world? God did all that he did through his son so that you would say there's no one greater than that. He must be supreme. And we need economies to teach us that very fact. Then if that, you know, isn't just kind of like a, a beating you on the head into submission saying, okay, okay, you get to be king, you know, it's good to be king. Look at the next thing. We are first fruit. 
he, in Romans chapter 8, says that we have the first fruits of the Spirit. He didn't just give us his Son, but he also gives us his Spirit who indwells us, who guides us, who fills us, who empowers us, who teaches us, who seals us, and keeps us securely until Christ is going to come back. Why? Because James 1.18 says we are a kind of first fruits of all he created. We're the only thing that is the most important of all that he's ever made. You are the apple of his eye. You're the most important thing. He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. This rest of this creation is going to be changed, transformed, done away with, and a new one's going to come about. But the one thing that's going to carry on is you, his created being, because you are the first fruits. You are the most important thing to a loving God. Now, can you see why in our mission statement, when we say that we are going to touch all people with God's message, that that first message, the first thing that God would say to you is, what? I love you because you're my first fruits. And this world desperately needs to know that. That every one of them are the most important thing in God's mind. Now, if that's true, if he gave his first fruits so that he might redeem you to make his you his first fruits, the most important thing to him, the trophy that he's going to hold up. Why on earth? With the little things that we have in our time and our talents and our treasures, would we fail to do exactly the same thing? Why would we ever want to say, no, you can't have my best time, you can't have my best abilities, and you can't have my first money? Why would we do that? Deuteronomy chapter, I'm sorry, I've got, yeah, it's, it's Deuteronomy 26, that's wrong up on the screen. It explains that because of all that God has done, you're supposed to do this. It explains in 10 verses there all of what these people were supposed to do just like we are. Bring him the very best of what you have. And the implication is if you don't, you're ungrateful for what he's done. Who wants to do that? On the contrary, in Scripture where we find that the people did this, it was the best years of the people of Israel in the Old Testament. They did this when they were having a revival under Hezekiah. They did it when they were with Nehemiah, rebuilding the walls. These were the best of times because they were bringing their first fruits to God. So, if we're going to get honest, We've got to understand how God blesses us. And he has created these economies to teach us what first things are supposed to be first. And he blesses us when we get the order right. And so if we're going to be honest, we've got to ask ourselves about order and priority in our time, in our treasures, in our talents. Now, we just want eternity because those questions are hard to answer. When you get there, there's no time, right? It's eternity. Right? I mean, that's just implicit. No time. No, no even sun and moon in days. It just lasts forever. You're never going to say, oh, I better do this because I don't know if I'll have time tomorrow. Okay, it'll never happen. You'll never have any problem with money because your tarmac's made out of gold. Okay, so just, you know, just chip a little piece off and no problem with money. And you're going to live in a glorified body. So you'll be able to do whatever you want to do, whatever God has made you to do, because you're in this perfect glorified body. Why can't we just have that? Here's why. 
Because when we get there, there will be no question among anybody who's there who is supreme. Right? Everybody there will be going, God, the Father, sent His one and only Son. And when He accomplished His work, He sent His Holy Spirit to indwell me, empower me, strengthen me, gift me, guide me, and I can look back on all of the things that He's done. He is amazing, supreme, the best ever. But that question today is still hanging in the balance, isn't it? One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But today, we're still answering that question. Because he doesn't always get our best time. He doesn't always get the best of our treasures. He doesn't always get the best of our ability. What about your time say God is first? What about your treasures say God is first? What about your talents says His body is first? This is about Him. It's about His kingdom. It's about His body. And He wants us to get it right. And there's room for everything if we'll get it in the right order. But to do so, we've got to be honest. Remember from last week, I told you, honesty, genuineness, authenticity shows up in behavior. It shows up in service. So what about your life says that? Yeah, 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 I'm here. It's Sunday. I'm in church. I give my best day. I'm, I'm good. And I, I throw a little something in there. You've got to figure it out. I can't tell you what the answer to those questions are. You have to. And how does it show? Can anybody see what is most important in your life by the things that you do with your time, with your treasures, and with your talents? If we will, it's amazing how he blesses us. In that passage to those Philippians, Paul says to them, man, you were so generous. You were so good to me. And I don't say it because I want another offering. He says, I do it because I want you to get the credit for it. And in doing so, that fragrant offering, God will supply all your needs according to His riches in heaven. Amazing. May we be people who get first things first. Let's pray. Teach us, Lord, because your supremacy in our lives day in and day out so often is still in question. We get it right sometimes and then we, we mess up because we get selfish about our time, our talents, our abilities. We get worried, we get afraid. We're not sure that you'll come through if we really respond with that kind of gratitude. But we're so foolish because you've been so good, you've done so much. Thank you for leading us, first of all, 
and giving your first fruits and then calling us that the apple of your eye making us from your creation the most important thing would you grow our gratefulness teach us to do to give to act with first things first in Jesus name